Yeah, those of you that were uh, the last time I preached, I had a few props happening. Boxes and tree branches and, oh, kids, kids church, you may be released. Look at them running, hey, little cherubs. There's my little kids. <laughs> they go from that to that and then they turn into this, yes. So, it's interesting, while I was standing there worshipping, um, I'm a little bit shy, for those of you that don't know me, and um, I actually am, I'm a pretty shy sort of person, I mean, outwardly, yeah, but internally, yeah, pretty shy kind of guy, and, um, you know, it's interesting, I, when I worship, I, I see others, you know, freely opening up and, and praising God with their voice during free worship. And it's just so amazing. And, you know, there's a part of inside of me that thinks, oh, you know, I start doing that and you know, it'll sound weird and it's going to be a bit strange and, you know, a little bit, you know, insecure about what other people might think. And I, um, as a kid, in fact, all through my adult life, I grew up in a pretty conservative church where you don't raise your hands in church, you don't clap in church, you don't express yourself emotionally in a, in a church meeting. But, you know, I was reading the other day that Mo, when Moses went up to the mountain and met with God, while the Israelites were down in the... Moses went up to the mountain and spent a lot of time with God. And at one time, Moses said to God, Hey, reveal yourself to me. Show me you. Reveal yourself. Show me. And God said to Moses, if I reveal my entire glory to you, you will die. That is how intense the glory of God is. So he put Moses into the little crack of a rock and he said, but I will pass by you. That's okay. And as and God passed while he was being hidden in the side of a rock. When Moses came back down off the mountain, his face, the Bible says, actually shone. It was like it was it was like a sun shone. And I think to myself, I bring that back today, and I think one day when this vessel dies and is raised up again, and then in the presence of the full glory of God, what will I will I be worried about what people think? No. I'll be flat on my face or hands in the air on my knees, praising God. So why not let's do that now? Let's do that. In times where we're together as a family and as a church, we can learn from that. We're so worried about what other people think. Let's just unashamedly just praise God. Does he care? No, he doesn't care. He just sees the heart. He wants to see our heart and he wants us to praise him and acknowledge him for all that we have. Amen. Okay, that's it. I'm going. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. That's all I got. Okay. Um, I probably could sit down at that. I think that's there's a lesson in that. Um, my um, my message this morning um, is on uh, on one Samuel sixteen one to thirteen. I think it'll be up on the screen. There we go. Now um, this is the account of when God actually anoints David to be king of Israel. Quick backstory. Okay, at this point, Israel is being ruled by a king by the name of Saul. Now, Israel, God said to Israel, who do you want to be your king? 
And Israel said, we want Saul. He's amazing. Now, if you want to give some identity to Saul and who he was in, as a man, let's think of um, Dwayne Johnson, right? The Rock, right? Hulk of a man, incredible stature, very impressive looking human being. That is who you would describe Saul, King Saul to be. The Bible describes him, Bible describes him as incredibly handsome, incredibly powerful and statute man. And that is who Israel chose to be their king. Things were going pretty well. Saul was walking with God, and then the wheels started to fall off. And we, and we pick up in the, in the scriptures here, where at this point, God has actually removed his, I guess, favor from Saul, due to Saul's unfaithfulness to God during his rule. And so God has now stepped in, as he always does, in times of crisis, steps in, and he's now speaking to one of his prophets, Samuel. And this is where we pick up the story. You with me? All right. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king from his sons. And so Samuel said, okay, well, how can I go? If, if Saul, King Saul, hears about this, he's going to kill me. And then the Lord said, take a heifer. Now, a heifer, for those of you that aren't country people, is actually a cow that has either not given birth to a calf at all or only given birth to one calf. Some of you might laugh and going, well, who doesn't know what a heifer is? I, I had to Google it, okay? So take a heifer. Lord Google. Uh, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did exactly as what the Lord had commanded him to do, to go to Bethlehem. Like, just picture that for a second. Okay, you're told to take a cow, head over to Bethlehem, see this guy called Jesse, and don't worry, I got it covered. We're going to find the next king of Israel. I'm like, okay, no worries. And this guy, just Samuel, just goes ahead and does it. So the elders of the city came to meet Samuel trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And Samuel said, peaceably, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate, prepare, it means, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So he consecrated Jesse, prepared Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When Jesse and his sons came, when they came, he looked on Eliab, the eldest of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shimei, 
passed by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one, Shema. And Jesse made seven or all seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And the prophet Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So then Samuel said to Jesse, well, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, send, go get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So they stood for a while. And then he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David the first time he is named. David, from that day forward. And the prophet Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That's our scripture reading this morning. Have you, uh, I wonder if any of, any of us can actually relate to David. Feelings of being left out, being left behind, being overlooked, maybe uh, not being considered or, or even maybe sent out to pasture. Maybe, maybe it was at school that you were overlooked and not considered. Maybe it was a work promotion. <sighs> Overlooked. Not considered. Well, I can. Um, I wasn't always as sporty as I am today. Um, what? I remember back at, uh, back at school during big lunch, there was always, um, you know, we'd always play sports as um, as kids, we'd play football or soccer or something uh, down on the field. And then uh, we'd have to choose our teams. And uh, there was always, you know, the two sportiest kids, you know, at the front, the captains. And then you got all us kids standing around here, all the boys, and they have to choose one and one. Okay, I'll take him. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll take him. Yeah, cool. Okay, I'll take him. Okay, cool. I'll take... Uh, okay, I'll take him. Okay, cool. Take him. Okay, no worries. And guess who was the one standing there at the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, I wasn't as I wasn't I wasn't as sporty as I am today. I wasn't that sporty back then. And uh, yeah, I was that guy. Always that guy, left behind and going. Oh, all right. Come on, get back down there. Anyway, if I have to have him, even though the teams are uneven, we'll still take him because it'll be like he's not there anyway. You know, I. I could relate to that, and I could see some of you also relate to that, that were often you were the last ones ever to be called out, not considered, left behind, perhaps not even valued. The, uh, the title of my message this morning is, Our value and worth to God is not determined by our performance. Let's pray, hey? Let's pray before we hear from God today. Father, I just want to thank you for what you do. Father, I just pray that as you speak, and I am your mouthpiece, 
that I will become smaller and smaller and people will just see you. I pray your Holy Spirit work in the hearts and in the minds of everyone here today and anyone else who message. Because Lord, you are sovereign, supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing and all-present. And Father, we just acknowledge that you are, you are the giver of all things. And we pray your word will go out, never return void. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the world's view on this, on this value and performance gig, right? The world's view. Now, all my career I've worked in the corporate world, big, big companies, little, little people. I've woven in and out of different ones. I've worked for corporate companies. I've worked in corporate companies, and I've seen it. Big companies, little people. Time and time and again, people's value has been me measured against how well they perform. And you know what? Even myself, I've been guilty of it. Looking upon staff of my own, their value on how well they perform. It's the world way. Conditioning, it's a social condition of, 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 of how a person's value is directly connected to that. It's a result, I believe, of a fallen world in which we live. Now, look, some have challenged me on this and said, look, and, and I've said, look, don't misunderstand me. I think it's important to, a, to, to I think, review and assess performance. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay in relation to goals or or budgets, or things that need to be achieved, that's all right. Determine the value. But that's the world's view. Performance equals value. I have actually taught myself over the years, don't focus on the goal, focus on the effort. Don't focus on the goal, focus on the effort. Because when I came to a point where I started to realize that my value was always determined by how well I performed, I was actually inhibited. I was cut off at the knees, constantly trying to seek approval. Yet what I did, I came to this understanding of the result will come. But over the years, I've seen many a manager, the eyes of a manager glaze over while they're doing the review of the, uh, of the underperformer. There's no hope on this one. Might have to actually, maybe even consider letting this one go. Wage rise... Reviewing the underperformer. Then there's the overperformer. This one has achieved incredible results. They are ushered into the manager's office, maybe a steaming cup of coffee ready to go. The, ch the chair is pulled out. Come and take a seat, my overperformer. Fantastic. I will put the figures aside. You're doing a great job. Congratulations, overperformer. <laughs> and you know what? Opinions are sought on how we can maybe run the company a little bit better from this overperformer. Fantastic. That's a really good idea. Might take that into consideration because they are valuable. At the annual conference, the conference sales conference awards this, this valued one because they've achieved so much and they are valuable. There are handshakes and back slaps all around the room, hugs and there's shots at the bar and we're drinking all night. Don't worry about the tab, I've got this because you are the valued one. 
Fantastic. Congratulations. You are amazing. Thank you for what you have achieved. And then the boss looks at this great awarded, congratulated, recognized value one square in the eyes. And I've had this. He said, hey, now do it again next year. And then suddenly my value in the eyes of that person goes from here to here. All right. So that's what it's all determined by. Isn't it the same again also in the sporting arena? How quickly we will like just ditch on our team when they're losing week after week after week after week. I won't even watch the game anymore. Maybe we should trade those players out of here. That coach, you're kidding me, right? Gone. Get him out. What about social standing? Our value to society can be judged on the value scale simply by the car that you drive or the house in which you live in. I am de- my value is determined by society. The suburb in which I live the job that I hold, and dare I say, even the colour of your skin will determine your value. I'm actually, uh, it's, we, we live in a suburb called Paradise Point. And people have asked me over the last couple of years, where do you live? And I say, I live in Paradise Point. And you can actually see it in the eyes of the people. Oh, very nice. Must be doing well. That's great, mate. And you know what? I see it, that my, that my value in their eyes is suddenly because he lives in Paradise Point. And I very, very quickly say, oh, we're renting. We're not that wealthy. Because I, I feel I need to justify where I live. Oh, I live in Narang. Oh, well, yeah. you're in Narangatan, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mate, nice 1974 clapped out Corolla you rolled in, mate. This is the common world view. Performance equals value. Position equals value. Power equals value. Prestige equals value. And you know what? Even pretty. In the eyes of, of, of society, in the world view, pretty even equals you are more valuable than others. Just look at social media these days. All the likes the beautiful girls get. The beautiful people. Value. Value. Well, when it came to David, God had other plans. Step in God. David knew what it was like not to be valued that much by even his own dad. He knew the feeling. In verse 11... Jesse does not even refer to David by his name. He says, yeah, 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 the youngest one, he's out in the field looking after the flock of sheep. That's how valued he was by his own dad. David wasn't invited to the, uh, to the sacrificial feast, remember? Samuel, to cons- Samuel consecrated, prepared Jesse and his sons for the feast. For the heifer, not David. David was still out in the field, not even being considered to be a part of that celebration. 
And it wasn't until Samuel actually insisted that David even came. Well, there's nowhere else. I mean, Samuel didn't know how many sons Jesse had. He just had seven in front of him. God said no. And Samuel scratching his head going, well, if it's not this lot, Jesse, have you got any more? Well, actually, yeah, there's another one. He's, you know, well, go get him. I can just imagine that. David's out in the field. I wonder who went and got him. Because, you know, as a shepherd, all right, it's a pretty lowly job. It was a shepherd was normally given to a servant. Now, this shows that potentially Jesse's family was, and David's family wasn't necessarily an affluent, wealthy family. So who went and looked after the sheep? The youngest, David, sent him out there and went and did it. Can you imagine one of the brothers having to shoot out there and, oh, all right, I'll go get him. And off he runs, hey, David, it's all happening back at the house. All right. And you'd be pretty upset at that point because you weren't chosen to be, to be the king. So can you imagine that interaction between the brother going to get David out of the field? David was like, okay, let's go. Now, scholars have said that David was probably about the age of 10 to 15 during this time. So let's just say he's about 13. So a 13-year-old boy being brought back to the house. Now, let's just go back to the shepherd thing. It shows, as I said, the family wasn't wealthy. And also, what did it give him? It gave David, as a shepherd, it gave him time to ponder, time to actually consider God's incredible creation. While he was out in the field, and it wasn't an easy job being a shepherd, but he was out in the field, and he would actually like just marvel at God's creation. And in fact, later on in the Bible, David actually, King David, when he becomes king, he actually writes a few Psalms. And, 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 and actually um, refers back to the handiwork of God and, oh, the wonder of your creation, the stars and the handiwork I see. David's thinking back to the time when he was a, a shepherd, sitting there in the middle of the night, just looking at this incredible creation that God had, God had made. It was time for David to actually, as a shepherd, to build, build the heart of a shepherd, caring for the sheep, realizing that he himself was a sheep of God, and that God was his shepherd. In Psalm again, the famous Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He leads me beside still waters. So David had the heart of a shepherd, and knowing that that related to also the way that God sees us, his people, as his sheep. It also entrusted, it also deposited into David a trust in God. Now, the Bethlehem area was a pretty rough, pretty, yeah, pretty dangerous sort of area, right? So it was rugged land, lots of wildlife around. So David had to protect his sheep from animals and wildlife, and he had to be there to look after them, to herd them and, and, and look after them. So he had to protect them. So inside of him, he also had this incredible father's heart, protective heart, and also this boldness and, and, and courageous heart that was being deposited inside of him while he was being a shepherd. He's only 13. How many 13-year-olds can you think of that could handle what I've just spoken about? And as he's out there in the field looking after the sheep, 
I, I relate that back to my life and I think to myself, wow, why am I in the job I'm in? Why am I here? Where is all of this leading to? Am I wasting my time in this dead-end job? What am I here for? What's it all about? Well, I'm here to tell you it's not a waiting time. It was just like David, where you are right now is where God wants you to be. It's a training time. God knew who he wanted to lead his people as king. He knew it. He was simply looking and wanted to identify and find that willing and ready vessel that was ready to be put into the position that God wanted him to be in. David's value to God, choosing him to be the king, was not on David's performance, but a willingness to put himself aside and surrender to what God was preparing for him to do. I'll say that again. David's value to God, choosing him to be king, was not on David's performance, but a willingness to put himself aside and surrender to what God was preparing for him to do. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says this, The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people. He was looking for a man, God was looking for a man after his own heart. And where, God, where did David get this heart? Well, obviously it was from God, right? Put into him. And who set David on this path right from the beginning? Well, many believe it was his mum. Never, ne- never once does David talk about his dad. But twice he talks about his mum. And he refers to his mother as a maidservant of the Lord. Nurturing him, depositing an incredible foundation into him as, a, as his mum. Into her son to build on. She nurtured him and loved him taught him all of God's ways, gave him that incredible foundation on which to build. I look at the mums in the room today. And you know what? When you become a mum, that very first moment you're holding that baby, you are going to be a mum for the rest of your life. You never stop being a mum. Whether your kid's six months old or whether they're 60 years old, you're still their mum. And it never, never stops. And what an incredible privilege that is. And another reminder of the incredible things that, and, and privilege that a mother has to deposit into their children. And for those who are going to be mothers one day, well, that opportunity is there for you also and it's going to be there for you. In verse 13, Samuel then took the horn of oil. So David's now come into the house and, and Samuel goes, right, David, sorry, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. He he was anointed. God had found the vessel that he was looking for in David. I've got an illustration. Just imagine tonight you get home and you order a pizza. And you're not, and you open the door, 
and the delivery guy's there and he's got your pizza in his hands. And all the cheese is dripping down all over his arms. It's all spilling down all over the sides. He's going, yeah, I got your pizza. And you're thinking to yourself, where on earth has that hand been? Come on. And you want to ask the inevitable question, don't you? Where is, where's the box? Where is the vessel? Where's the box? You see, the box itself is only worth about 45 cents. But the product inside of the box makes the box incredibly valuable. Let me put you this way. The box doesn't give value to the product, but the product gives value to the box. That is Christ in us. Not so that we can get all puffed up and think that I'm amazing and I've got it all together. No, it's got nothing to do with me. It's what Christ is doing inside of me that is enabling me to have value and to do with it everything that God has imparted me to do. He puts into me his will. He puts into me his love. And he puts into me his purpose for my life so I can operate in all the ways that he has designed me to operate. You don't need to be beautiful. You don't need to be super talented. You don't need to be rich. And you don't even need to be beautiful or a movie star, whatever it might be. He is simply looking for vessels that are open and ready to be used by him. Are you that vessel? At the age of 41, I, I turned to God and I said, that's, that's enough. I'm, I've turned my back on that life. That's enough now. I am open and I am ready to be used by you. I am now your open vessel. I'm not comfortable with this. My knees still shake when I, when I take a microphone and I get really nervous. You know, my vessel on the outside of me is all worried about what you think. But it's not about that. It's about what God and Christ is doing inside of me. I don't seek approval because I have Christ inside of me. That is what's important. And Christ will speak through me. He's preaching to you right now and saying what it is that potentially we need to hear. David was the vessel that God needed to do what he needed to do. And David was anointed by the Holy Spirit, which rushed upon him from that day on and empowered him to become the most successful king that Israel had ever had. In fact, he established Jerusalem as, as the city. There was another vessel in the Bible. It came in the name of Jesus. But he was also the Christ. And there came a time when, when the devil took that vessel and he tore it, he scarred it, 
It was hung on a cross. That was the vessel. That was Jesus' vessel. And there it is, laying there on the cross, beaten. We spoke, Mal spoke about it earlier. Whipped, torn to pieces, his body. Unrecognizable by man. And then Jesus was laid in a tomb. He was laid in a tomb, a borrowed tomb. The borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. It's interesting, he borrowed that tomb for three days. And on Easter Sunday, he came back. You know what? He borrowed that tomb, but guess what he did on that cross? He bought you. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered the vessel of Jesus' body is also working inside of you and inside of me. And one day when this vessel breaks down and stops operating, one day the Holy Spirit, when Jesus comes back again, he will empower this vessel and I'll rise again. We'll all be, we'll rise together and be forever with Jesus and God in heaven forever and ever. Amen. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Are you that vessel? Are you open? Are you ready? I beg you right now. If you have not accepted that into your life, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't. God will sort it out. But be open and be ready to do what it is that God has in fact created for you to do. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Jesus, I just want to thank you for what you do, how you teach us, what you show us through your word. The simplicity of what you show us sometimes can have the the greatest impact. I thank you that you choose to use the vessels in this room empowered by your Holy Spirit to do the work that you have prepared to do. Jesus, I pray for more vessels to be open to your leading to do the work, to go out and proclaim your name. Holy Spirit, I just pray for your comfort, pray for your encouragement, I thank you for this house and for all those in it. And I pray for anybody that has not come to that point, Lord Jesus, of accepting you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you will stir in their hearts that they too are your vessel and you are ready to fill them with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good stuff. Hey, um, we're going to celebrate our, our mothers now. Um, I also forgot to mention earlier on that we have um, compiled a formula of um, Brad's um, series on the finished work of the Christ cross. Um, they are available down the back for $2 or more. And, uh, and just one more thing, keep in your prayers, Ben and Jess. Um, they're off to Africa right now. I think they should be getting ready to board the plane shortly. And um, so keep them in there in your in your prayers. Uphold them. Um, and yeah, we'll see you here next week. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.